This subject is very exciting for me because it never used to be because <laughs> I just did not understand it. I did not understand the law and grace. And I was a Christian, but I was under law. It doesn't work. There's no victory. <laughs> there's no peace and there's no joy. Let me tell you. <laughs> but so I think this is just so crucial for us to understand. And it's, um, what was I going to say? It's, uh, oh, it's gone now. Oh, it's, it's very historical. It's like learning history. But that's good. We need to learn from history. And there's been people in history, like Hitler, who burned all the books so that we wouldn't learn from history, to wipe out their history because he didn't want people to learn from it and he didn't want people to think for themselves and make decisions for the future. He wanted to dictate what he, his agenda. But history is so important for us to know. It's not a dry, old, fuddy-duddy subject that, it was in the past and we don't need to look at it anymore. It's so important for now for us to understand it. So this is part two of what we discussed about the atonement because there, there was a question, she's not here today, anyway, about, you know, it's actually a legal thing. It's like God did it very legally. He, he, he set up the law and we'll see how it happened, okay? So good morning. <laughs> now I got right out of the way. <laughs> okay, we're in the dark here. I can't see very well, but anyway, I'll manage, I guess. Is there a light behind me, David, or...? Oh, that's better. Thank you. All right, so first of all, let's look at Colossians chapter 2. Now, there's a lot of scriptures. You've got three pages, six pages today instead of four. So they're double-sided. So they're all there. So there's a lot of scriptures. And I'll tell you what, you could, I could just not add anything to it. We could just read through the scriptures and it would tell the story. It would, would explain it all. So here we go. Colossians chapter 2, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ, hallelujah, for he forgave all our sins. He cancelled the record against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Okay, so that record that was against us, that was the law. Okay, the law of the Old Testament. We're now in the New Testament. We could say the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But that was the law, that record that Jesus did away with. He nailed it to the cross. He paid the price for that law so that we don't have to. Okay, so we are now free from it. So the law was introduced through Moses 
before then, so there was 2,000 years. Good morning. There's some notes. I need to give you some notes. So there was 2,000 years from creation to Moses. Then 2,000 years from Moses to Jesus. 2,000 years from Jesus to now. Give or take a few years, okay? <laughs> but before Moses, there was no law. The law came in through Moses. There was no law from Adam and Eve. God did so. It was not God's first choice to have the law. Before Moses, God was dealing with his people with mercy. And we can see that in Genesis chapter 4. It talks about Cain. Cain killed Abel. But then God didn't punish Cain. He actually protected him. For the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So he actually protected him. Okay? And then again, um, we can see it with Abraham. In Romans 4, it talks about Abraham. that being He was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, if we look at Abraham's life, he wasn't such a great, you know, he did some naughty things. He offered his wife up to another man, not once, but twice, okay, because he was his half-sister. So, yes, he said he was his, she was his sister, but she was actually his wife. So I was like, there's a little bit of responsibility to protect her there. But no, he didn't. He said, no, off you go. Twice he did that. So, and then... You know, when, when Sarah and Abraham were had the word from God that they would have a baby and it hadn't happened yet, and Sarah says to Abraham, take the maidservant, is there any resistance? Is there any instruction? No, he seemed to be quite happy to off you go. So, you know, <laughs> but God counted it to him as righteousness because he wasn't imputing men's sin unto them. You know, he wasn't holding them accountable. Okay. Um, in Leviticus, it talks about that you won't marry a sister. So Abraham broke that law, but he wasn't punished for it because the law wasn't in effect yet. It wasn't there. So he was living free under God. Okay. Um, but sin increased. Sin kept increasing because there was no law. Uh, so people didn't know that they had to go by the law because there was none. But in, uh, in Romans 9, it tells us that as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. Okay, so if sin had been kept going the way it was, we would have ended up like Sodom and Gomorrah. And how did they end up? They were destroyed. Okay, But God needed there to be a virgin left in the world for Christ to come through. But the way they were going, that wasn't going to happen. So the law was introduced 
to make us realise our sin so that we would quit being self-righteous and would come to God. Because everybody thought, oh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm fine. I'm better than Joe down the road, but I'm good, you know. Might not be perfect, but I'm better than Joe, so I'm okay. But that wasn't good enough with God. So Romans 3 tells us, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. Okay? So not, uh, not those who aren't under the law, but only those who are under the law. That's key. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God so that they would know that they're guilty. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So by introducing the law, God made us aware that we were sinners and that we weren't measuring up to God's standard and that we were actually destroying ourselves. So even though God wasn't holding sins against us before Moses, he wasn't punishing us, but we were opening our lives up to free reign to the devil to destroy our lives instead. So you see the, the, the lifespan decrease over the years because sin was killing them. They were opening themselves up to what the devil wanted to do with them. And we know that's not good. Okay, so Romans 4, because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. There you are. If there's no law, we don't know about sin, so we're not sinning. There's no transgressions before sin, before the law. So that's key too. So Romans 7, now we have been delivered from the law. We have been delivered from the law. Amen. Having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So the oldness of the letter, that's the old covenant again, the law. So we're now to serve in the newness of the spirit not in the oldness of the letter. Okay. Where are we up to? And then we see in Galatians chapter 3, before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we, know, we, know, uh, we are no longer under a tutor. So that's us now. The law came as our tutor to teach us, as we, we said a few times. Getting warm up here. But now that the, the law, now that Christ, we, through Christ we've been justified by faith, we're no longer under that tutor. There's no need for the law. We don't need to be taught. Because we've died to sin and we now live under a new covenant of serving God 
So we've got to realise that we don't actually mix the two covenants. There was an actual definition when Christ paid the price. That was the old covenant. We're now in the new covenant. We don't mix them. They don't mix. We don't put new wine into an old wine skin. It doesn't work. So Hebrews 10, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect, perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? So it's saying, if the law actually had worked, if those offerings under the law had worked to, to free us from sin, then there would have been no need for a change. But they didn't work. They just covered us temporarily and to get us through to this time. Since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any conscious of, consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, so we're saying that the law was a shadow or a type of things to come. So a shadow, we know when the sun shines, we've got a shadow. If I was coming around a corner, you were over here and I was coming around the corner, my shadow came first. You would know that I'm coming, but you wouldn't actually see me. But you'd see the shadow. So you'd know I was coming. But when I came around the corner and you saw me, you wouldn't still be talking to my shadow. You would be talking to me. And that's what it is about the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant was to show people that Christ was coming, but he wasn't there yet. But when he came, then they were to talk to him, not around his shadow. Yeah. And sacrifices had to be made continually, year by year, every time there was an event, every time there was a... A child born or they got married or, you know, there were so many different things that they had to have sacrifices for because God wanted to show, make sure that they had a consciousness of sin, as it said in that verse. If it had a work, they would no longer have any consciousness of sin, but he needed them to know and be conscious of their sin. So that's why they had to continually have this to remind them. Okay. Now let's go. So in Hebrews chapters 9 and 10, it compares the two, two covenants. So let's go to Hebrews 8. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So now he's going to talk about God's telling us about what that new covenant is. And Terry actually touched on it in her. Did she do communion or... Or tithe and offering. She brought this up. About in the Old Testament, the law was written in stone. The law was external to them. And they had to look at that and they had to look at that and, and try and do it. But in the New Covenant, God says that, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts and I will be their God. So now it's within us. It's in our heart and they shall be my people 
So it's not like, oh, we have to. I'm trying by my own efforts to do it. Now it's, it's written within me. I want to do it. And it's because I love God, not because he's a scary God. They shall not teach each one his neighbour and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. We won't need, you know, when Moses came down from getting the tablets of stone and the people said, Don't let God speak to us. I think it was then. Don't let God speak to us. You speak to us. They didn't want... I think it was a different incident when he came down anyway. Um, but they didn't want God to speak to them directly. Moses had to put the veil over his face because he shone the glory of God and they couldn't cope with it. So they had to, they wanted God to speak through Moses to them. But now God's saying, you won't need that. Because each of us will be able to speak to God for ourselves and God will actually speak to us because the law will be in our hearts so he will talk to us. And, of course, we have our pastors and, and teachers and whatever's in the church to encourage us and build us up because we all need that. But we can't rely on them for our relationship with God. It's up to us individually to have a relationship with God. Yeah. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Well, that's not how he was dealing with the, the in the Old Testament. He's going, saying now he's going to be merciful towards our iniquities and remember our sins no more. So in speaking of a new covenant... He makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. We don't refer to it anymore. It's not a part of our lives anymore. It's in our Bibles because we learn from it and that's how we understand what we've got now. Then Hebrews 9 chapter, uh, verse 1. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. And of these things we cannot now speak in detail. And I tried, I did a bit of a study on that. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. A lot of translations say, oh, we haven't got time to talk about it now. And I'm like, mm, that sounded weird. But... Um, Anyway, the King James Version says, of which we cannot now speak particularly. So I read one commentary and, and I've heard a bit of teaching about it and it did sound like 
we don't talk about these things, the cherubim are no longer over the mercy seat. They're not protecting. The cherubim were there to protect the presence of God from the people. So in the Old Testament, I'm probably jumping ahead here, am I? Yeah, okay, so let's explain what the cherubims were. They were the angels that were over the Ark of the Covenant. They weren't just little decorative little cherubs that you see in the shops. They were massive. Their wings went right up to the ceiling, touched the walls of the tabernacle, and in this place between under there's the mercy seat on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and then these angels protected this space here. And that space was where God would speak to them when the high priest went into the tabernacle. So they would walk in there and they would talk to God. And so cherubim were also the angels that were put at the entrance of the Garden of Eden where when God put Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden and then he put these angels at the entrance so that they wouldn't come back in. And these angels, they had the big, they were warrior angels. They had the big flaming swords that were going all over the place to stop them entering into. So you've got the reference there in Genesis. But at the time of the cross, the veil which separated humankind from the holiest of holies in the tabernacle, where God would speak to them, was torn. The separation between me and God you and God, all of us and God, was destroyed. So we now have complete access to the presence of and to the voice of God because the blood of Jesus was preparing the way and he's cleansed us and no angel can stop me from approaching the throne. Okay. Look in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Oh, Kim, you want some notes? You got some? Thank you. We need our notes this time, definitely. So Galatians chapter 1. For even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So if the devil comes against us and says, you're not good enough, oh, God's not going to heal you, you've done too many things wrong, oh, yes, you were saved, but now you've made another boo-boo, so now you're not saved anymore, so you won't be healed, we can say, I rebuke you, Satan, in Jesus' name, leave, because we've been given authority to do that. And Hebrews 4 says, let us now then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That separation has been torn down so that we can come boldly. In the Old Testament, the priests did not come boldly to that present, to the Ark of the Covenant, to speak with God. 
They could only come once a year on the Day of Atonement into the Holy of Holies and they had to make sacrifices for themselves to make sure they were okay and sacrifices for the people to make sure they were okay and that it was all okay to go in. And even then, with fear and trembling, they would go in hoping that they had met the requirements because it wasn't quite sure, you know, I might have forgotten one. <laughs> yes. They even had a, a rope tied around their ankle so in case they did perish in the presence of God, nobody else wanted to go back in so they could pull them out. And they had bells around their garments so that people on the outside could hear if the bell stopped ringing, oh dear, pull him out. <laughs> so we don't speak about these things anymore because the old form of sacrifice and worship with its laws and regulations has been removed. And the new has come through the reformation of the system which Jesus brought into effect through his blood. Amen. Aren't you glad? <laughs> I think it was tough living in the Old Testament times. Might have just forgotten one sin. And a sin wasn't just what you did wrong, but it was also what you didn't do. So how do you remember what you forgot to do? <laughs> it's confusing. But Christ, Hebrews 9, verse 11, Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. That's key. So Jesus is now our high priest. And he's made an acceptable offering for our sin that does not have to be repeated. It's, we have eternal redemption. The Old Testament, they had to keep doing it because it didn't last. Imagine how many animals were slaughtered. You wouldn't want to be vegan in the Old Testament, would you? <laughs> Oh. oh, there was all laws and regulations on everything, everything. One little inter interesting thing that I've learned, you know, have you ever heard the term a Sabbath day's rest, uh, journey, Sabbath day's journey? It's because there was laws about the Sabbath, even as to how many steps you were allowed to take. So if here to Gosford was past that many steps, I wasn't allowed to go to Gosford, to the shops. I could only go to the car park. <laughs> so it was so highly regulated. So now, according to the law of the Old Covenant, only those in the line of Aaron from the tribe of Levi could be priest. This is where a spanner gets thrown in the works. That's why there had to be a total reformation 
of the system for Jesus to legally become the new high priest because he was not of the tribe of Levi. So there had to be a reformation of the system. Okay, Hebrews 5 verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently. Oh, we can skip that one for time. And no one takes this honour for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Then down in Hebrews 8, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. I think we read that one before. Anyway, so this is why Jesus was so offensive to the Jewish priests. He wasn't of the, the tribe that the, the, the law said that they had to come from. He's just this newcomer on the scene claiming to be the son of God which was offensive to them in the, in the first place as well. But he wasn't from the tribe. He didn't tick all the boxes. He didn't fulfil all the sacrifices. So Jesus' position and his words were declaring to them that the whole Old Testament law, the whole sacrificial system, all their, their, um, their whole priesthood, all their traditions was over. It was now null and void. You guys are out of a job. <laughs> you just got sacked <laughs> and they were about to lose their very lucrative lifestyle we see it today when that happens people become very defensive and and worried this is what happened very offensive to them but had they known their scriptures instead of the law they would have known that the Messiah would come and replace them. Yeah, that's right. Hebrews chapter 7. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, of necessity there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. Verse 
For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay. So then we find out that in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So here we see God has changed it from the Old Covenant to the New Testament, New Covenant, through the blood of Jesus, done away with the law, made us new. We don't have to fulfil those requirements any longer because those requirements have been paid. It's been done away with. It's The law has been fulfilled. So we don't need to do it anymore. In Hebrews 9, Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. If he had gone into the earthly tabernacle, he would have had to suffer repeatedly. That's what that's saying, since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So Christ went to heaven and fulfilled the law, right? And he doesn't have to suffer repeatedly. So he has paid the price for all sin. All sin. All past sin, all present sin and all future sin. For all people. 1 John 2, 2 says he's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. So even though they don't know that yet, they're forgiven. We need to realise that and accept that for it to take, you know, to, to enjoy the benefits of that in our lives. People going to hell are going there forgiven. That's a sad fact, isn't it? They just need to know that they're loved and forgiven. So Hebrews 9 verse 12, again, it says, it's repeated and we're going to read a few things over and over. Once Jesus went in, once Jesus paid the price. So Hebrews 9 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Not just till the next time we sin. It's eternal. Hebrews 9.28. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. Hebrews 10. He does away with the first order in, in order. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all sin, all people, all time. Hebrews 10, 12. When Christ had offered for all time 
a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Brad touched on this. This whole message nearly got preached on Sunday. It's like (laughs) Brad talked about entering the rest. Here we are. When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He rested because it was done. Everything that he needed to do was done, has been done already for us. Hebrews 10.14, for by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So it's once. It's all been done. What Jesus did to sin, he also did to sickness, as we've learned in the last months. So Romans 6, verses 9, start at 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then down to verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So we could also insert sickness there instead of the word sin in verse 14. For sickness will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So we've established that we are not under law. We've established that the law is not for a righteous person. It is, not, it is for people to find out that they are unrighteous so that they can accept the sacrifice of Jesus and become righteous and then they're no longer under the law. Because that was that verse that the law is a tutor. It teaches us, but once we've learned, we don't need that tutor anymore. Christ becomes our tutor. His law is written in our hearts and that's our tutor, not the external. And in 1 Timothy, I don't know that you've got this one. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Okay, so it's all spelt out very clearly in the Bible. We just need to know it, don't we? We really need to understand this, that the law is not for us. So when the devil comes to us and says, you didn't do this properly, you said this wrong, you should have done that. No should have, would have, would have done, you know. We've got to go, well, praise God, I'm not under the law. And there's no condemnation and the Holy Spirit will come and tell me what I need to do at the right time. Yeah? 
We can learn from our mistakes, obviously, but we're not to be condemned by them. And it certainly doesn't stop the benefits that Jesus paid for to give us. It doesn't stop our salvation. It doesn't stop our healing. So sin is the root cause of sickness, as we know, because sin entered the world with Adam and Eve and that at the same time sickness entered the world. So sin is the root of cause of sickness, but Jesus has dealt with the root now, hasn't he? And thus he's dealt with the fruit of the root. So it's all been dealt with. So Romans 6 verse 10 says, For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, in brackets, sickness, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, that means we don't have to suffer the effects of sin or sickness because we're alive to God in Christ Jesus. That means we have his life in us. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me and is quickened, given life to my body, my mortal body, by that spirit that dwells in me. No. So 2 Corinthians verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Through Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. We don't need the law anymore. The law has been fulfilled. We can learn from it, but we don't live by it. We can't live by it. Nobody could live by it. Even if we said, oh, but I've been brought up, I've, you know, never done anything bad, I've lived a holy life. No, you haven't. Sorry. <laughs> been there, done that, thought that doesn't work. <laughs> You know, I remember being young and thinking, I'm just going to live my life perfectly for God. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I might not have done a lot of things that my peers did, but I was under more condemnation. They were out partying, doing all these terrible things, and they had no condemnation. I wasn't. I was trying to live my life for God, but I was probably under more condemnation than them. They, they actually, I was just under condemnation. They had no condemnation. <laughs> they were leaving free and having a great time. I was under the condemnation. So we can't live by the law, even if we think we can. 
That's why the law was our tutor, to show us that it was impossible. That's why we all need Jesus. And that's why we need to understand this so that we can be free. Leave it behind. Not try and live in the Old Testament. We can be free and move and live on, live in the grace of God and the love of God that uh, shows us how free we should be. Yeah? Amen. Well, you don't have these notes because I thought I was going to be really long time, but we're just going to have a look at Romans 5, verses 20 to 21. So if you've got something to look it up in. So, moreover, Romans 5, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law was given to make us aware of our sin and that we couldn't keep the law, right? Therefore, we needed the mercy and grace of God, which we have through Jesus. So let's just do a little bit of a word study. The words in this, as sin reigned, this verse says. So sin, we could say sickness again. It reigned when we were held captive by death, okay? It reigned in our lives. It held, held us, it had a stronghold over our lives. It ruled everything. That was when we had our old nature, which was dead to God. We're now born again. That's why we're born again, because we had to get rid of the, die to the old nature and live for the new nature. Because we have died with him. We're now alive to God in Christ Jesus. Everything he's given us, his favour, his power, his grace will reign. It will rule. It will exercise the highest influence and control in our lives. So grace reigns. It rules. Death no longer reigns in our lives. It's grace. It exer grace exercises the highest influence if we're listening to the Spirit, yeah, through righteousness, us knowing that we're right with God. See, that's what I didn't have. I was trying to live for God, but I didn't know that I was righteous before God. But we, will have, to, we have to know that through righteousness, us knowing we're right with God because of Jesus being the atoning sacrifice for us, and giving us that new nature. And it leads to that scripture. Let's read it again. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading 
to eternal life. So leading to, in the Amplified it says, which issues in. Okay, which issues in. What's it issuing in? Eternal life. The consequence of us knowing and reigning through righteousness is eternal life. What is eternal life? In John 17, 3, it says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life, having relationship with God forever, having intimate relationship with God forever. It's not just living forever. It's having intimate relationship forever, that that relationship has been restored so that we can have communion with him. When I read that, that just, that just explained lots of things to me a while ago of what was happening. It's like through grace, we have to enter into his grace. We can't be trying to be under the law. We have to enter into his grace. And through that knowledge, there's... Now, Kim, you might help me. Where, where is it that scripture says... What is it? I remembered it this morning. Through the communication of my faith is effective through the acknowledgement of every good thing that is in me. It's in the Old Testament, uh, New Testament. Anyway, could be. It's around there, <laughs> somewhere there. <laughs> so our faith is not effective unless we can't communicate it. It's not effective unless we acknowledge every good thing that is within us. And unless we know that we're under the grace of God, we don't know that. We can't think, if we're trying to be under the law or we're being condemned by the law because the law brings no good thing in our lives, we're not free to experience the grace of God. And so therefore our faith is not effective. We can't share it. We can't operate in it. So we have to know what the good things that are in us. Is it? Look up Jude. So there you go. So that is how God changed us. There's another scripture that says he's changing us from glory to glory. If you look up the context of that, he's changing us from the glory of the Old Testament because it was a glorious time. That God was showing them his standard, but they weren't able to keep it and that's what he needed them to know. But he's changed us from that glory to the glory of the new covenant. From glory to glory, he's changed us. Amen. Praise God. Well, there you are. That's it.